Boker Tov, and welcome back to another in our ongoing series of Shurim on Daf Yomi. We are now on Yivamot Daf Petet Amud Aleph, uh, in the middle of our analysis of the first mission of the 10th Perek, where the Mishnah determined, and this will be our uh, main focus, our entire focus of this podcast, uh, the Mishnah determined that the Vlad of either husband would be a Mamzer. Now we have to rem- remember the case. Uh, the uh, woman got a report that her husband had died, and uh, based on that report, she remarried, married a second man, and then her husband showed up. So when we said Avlad Mamzer, Mizeo Mizeh, what we meant is any children she had with the second husband obviously would be Divnis Mamzer. And if she went back to the first husband, any children she would have with him subsequently would be considered a Mamzer, which is itself pretty difficult considering that from the essential law, she is still married to her first husband. Maybe there is a prohibition of her having uh, relations with her first husband, and that's subject to the Machlok, Rabbi Shimon's opinion, and Rav's opinion, etc. Um, but there is no one who would question the fact that she is still married to the first husband, and therefore, if she has children with him, why should they be considered uh, mamzerim? All right, we're going to do what's called a backdoor approach to this. The discussion here is not a discussion that starts out about mamzer. The discussion is something that starts out about the issues of truman and and uh, truma tmei and truma tahora, and we'll I'll give a brief introduction to that before getting started. And the main focus of our discussion is going to be, and it's a very central sugya, is going to be about the power of the beitin, the power of the rabbanan, the power of rabbinic legislation to modify, um, uh, limit, or possibly even overturn and uproot laws that are midoraita. Let's begin. Tananatam. We have a Mishnah in Trumot. Ein tormin tahor. So you have a bunch of food, some of which is tamay, some of which it was uh, food that was wet and was touched by sherets, and the rest is tahor. Now, you have a bunch of, let's say, uh, pomegranates. Some are tamay, some are tahor. You're not allowed to take from the tamay pomegranates and make them truma to cover the tahor pomegranates. So if, for instance, you have 100 pomegranates, 50 of which are tamay, 50 are tahor, and you take two of the tamay pomegranates and say, this is truma for the whole 100, then you're not allowed to do that. V'im taram. However, if you did it, v'shogeg truma to truma. If you were unaware of the, tru- of the status of truma, and that's what shogeg means here, then it's valid truma. But if you intentionally did it and said, hey, I'm going to get rid of some of my tamay stuff, then it is invalid. Now, my what does that mean? How to interpret it. He says the act was absolutely meaningless. Even the pomegranate, the seed in this case, of the stalk, but even that pomegranate that you took itself is tevel. In other words, it's it, what you did was absolutely meaningless. Of Natan Rabbi Shayamar, he disagrees and says, He means that the other 98 pomegranates, in the case that I gave, are not fixed. But the two that I made are truma, which means that he says, the act that I did has validity vis-a-vis the two pomegranates that I designated as truma, but the other 98 remain unfixed. Now, let's see what the Machloket is about. Why didn't he grow with Ronaton And he said, rather, that your act is absolutely meaning it's like you did nothing. The Amar Tavi Truma, because if you say that it is Truma, Zinin Tepashav Lomafrish. Now, notice, Ravchista is not coming from an essential position, but from a precautionary position. Meaning, it's not 
because of what the reality is, but because of what may happen as a result of legislation. If you say that those two really are truma, then the person may say, ah, I've already got truma, I'm not going to separate the rest. Therefore, Rav Chista says, we declare that what you did was nothing, and therefore you've got to start over. Now, my Mishnah had it not. According to Rav Chista, why is that any different than the following Mishnah? Let's say that you separate a particular kind of fruit, and it turns out to be uh, overripe. Or uh, watermelon, and it turns out that it's already spoiled. The truma is valid, but you have to go back and take truma again for the other stuff. Which means that, that this supports Vratan Barbashaya, that when you take truma invalidly, the truma itself is truma, but the other stuff isn't fixed. So now, now the question is, uh, that this is challenging Rav Chistas, is Shogig Amezid Karamit? So the, the answer is, you're, you're bringing me a proof against uh, may, against my position on Mezid from a case of Shogeg. This is clearly a case of Shogeg because it says you separated from watermelon and it turned out afterwards that you found out that the stuff was already spoiled, which means when you took it, you had all good intentions. And in that case, we say the truma is valid, but you have to take it again. So that's not a challenge to my position, Rav Chista says, because I'm discussing a case of Mezid where you knew that the stuff was Tamei and you took it nonetheless. So the answer is Shogig lo avadi sura, mezid ka avadi sura. When you did with Shogig, you didn't do anything wrong. So therefore, we say that the truma is valid. Uh, but in, in the case of mezid, uh, you did something wrong because you knew that it was, uh, that it was tame. And therefore, we say we invalidate your action totally. Now, if you think about it for a second, it's a little bit backwards because it means that in the case of Shogig, you're fined worse because the stuff you separated is truma is truma and you still have to take truma for the rest. Whereas here you're saying it's all nothing, so at least you didn't lose anything. All right. Virami Shogeg are Shogeg. So now well, I could still challenge Rav Chista by bringing another case of Shogeg. And by the way, this isn't just Rav Chista. The Mishnah says that if you separated Tame ala Tahor Shogeg, meaning you didn't know it was Tame, then it's valid. And in the case that we just mentioned, it says that it's Truma, but you have to go and take Truma again, which means it's invalid. So the answer is Hatam Shogeg Karv in the case of the spoiled watermelon, it's shogeg that's closer to mezid. In other words, you had a little more culpability here. Why? You should have tasted the stuff and t- took a t- open it up, take a look and see what it was like. Meaning, in this case, where you had the watermelon sitting around for a week, or you weren't sure what its status was, you should have checked it because you want to give the finest stuff to the coin. But in the case of the tame stuff, you had absolutely no idea that it was tame, and there's no way to see it. It's only when you become notified. All right, so that we've answered. Virami mezid amezid. By the way, in the notes, I did give very little attention to this, because it's only the end of this piece that's going to bring up the problem that's germane to our sugya. For Rami Mezid Amezid, so now we have a challenge, a contradiction within the uh, rulings about Mezid, right? In our Mishnah, we said, Mezid, you've done nothing. And according to Rav Chista, it means absolutely nothing. Hatam Tanan, we have a Mishnah in Trumot, Nakuv Al Nakuv. Now here's the deal. When you have fruit that is growing in a potted plant that has no hole in the bottom, then there's no chiv of truma because it's not growing out of the ground. If, on the other hand, it has a hole in the bottom and it's sitting on the ground, that means it's nurturing from earth through the hole, in the hole in the bottom of the plant, so the earth that's at the bottom of the pot is somehow connected to the earth that's underneath it. So now, let's say that, so you have to separate those separately. If you have a bunch of uh, hydro, not hydroponic really, but if you have a bunch of tomatoes that are growing in a in a bed that's got a bottom that's sealed, 
you have to separate from them independently, and the tomatoes that are growing in the ground separated independently. Tomatoes is a bad example because they're abundant, but as but just uh, for a simple example. Now watch the following. Let's say that you had your uh, let's take something as doraita. Let's say you had your uh, wheat that was growing in a pot or in a bed. Hardly likely, but in a bed that has no bottom to it, that has no opening at the bottom, and you separate it from there to cover wheat that was growing in a regular field. Al nakuv, it's growing in a potted plant where the where the bottom is open, which is just like in a field. And there, by the way, it's amazing because you know what, what what's potted and what's not potted. You know where there's a hole and where's not a hole. And we said you have to take truma, but and you have to take truma again, which means we don't say loa savaloklum. So now the answer is betray money tzayit. When it's in two different kelim, a person will listen to us and they'll do the proper thing. Remember what was Rav Chista's concern? Rav Chista's concern was that if you say that the truma is absolutely invalid, the person won't separate it at all. So he says, or we say on his behalf. If it's in two different kalim, a person understands they haven't done anything, that's truma, but you haven't covered anything there, he'll redo it. But if it's all in one big area, and you say, that is truma, but you still have to cover it, he won't listen to us. That's Rav Chista's explanation. But Rav Chista's position, which is that, means that the truma is not fixed, but the, 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 the tevel is not fixed, but the truma is still truma, how is that any different than this position if you take the opposite, if you separate truma from stuff that's in the ground to cover stuff that's in a pot, that's a pot without a hole in the bottom, then it's not truma, that it is truma. But you should not eat that stuff, the stuff that's, that, you, that you covered, until you separate truma again from another place. Right? So... Uh, so in that case, we're saying that um, that. So in this case, what we're saying is that the truma itself that you separated, we said it's valid truma, but you have, but it should not be eaten by the kohen until you separate on its behalf from somewhere else. Which means that according to Rabbi in our case of Tomei and Tahor, he said the two that you took, the two pomegranates you took, in the example we gave are valid truma, but you still need to fix the rest. And here we said, if you take Minhan Nakuv, al then the truma is valid, but the coin should not eat it until you properly fix it. Why? Because in our case of truma tmea over truma tahora, really mid to oraita, and this is going to get to the crux of our issue, it's proper truma. Kid Rabbi Loi, Dharma Rabbi Loi, Rabbi Loi, Rabbi Huda's father, have the following uh, observation based on the pasuk, which is pasuk number one on the page. How do I know that if I give the kohen, if I separate and give to the kohen um, um, less uh, desirable stuff, uh, poor quality, uh, uh, to cover stuff that's of better quality, how do I know that it's valid? Because the pasuk says at the end of parashat Korach, when you give the chalev, the fat, the best part, uh, to, to, to the Kohen, and you separate it, then you will not have a chet. So that means that if you give him the worst part, that it is a chet. But if it's an invalid gift, then there's no chet, it's just no gift. So it must mean, the Torah must mean when it says that you will not sin if you, you will avoid sinning by giving him the best part, that means that giving him an inferior gift 
is a valid gift, but it's, it's sinful, it's bad behavior. So you see that it's valid, which means which means the truma is valid. Which then brings us to the question of saying, well, if the truma is valid, but we're turning around and saying it's invalid, then that means that the Rabbanan are uprooting the law of the Torah. And let's see how. So now, according to you, Rav Chista, simplest approach, you said that what the guy did is absolutely nothing. I mean, remember, Mito Raita, it's 100% good. Everything's fixed. But Rav Chista said that Loa Savalokum means nothing's done, and even the two pomegranates that I took are, are nothing. My time, because you're saying that the concern is that he may then uh, ignore and not separate truma. So then what you've got is the following circumstance. Mito those two pomegranates are truma. And Mito Rabbanon, you're saying they're not truma. So that means that Rabbanon are taking this truma, these two pomegranates are truma, and they're turning them into chulin. And they're turning into chulin because of their own precautionary concern that a person may not separate truma, which means can the beitin set up a law that uproots the law of the Torah? Meaning, this, these two pomegranates are truma. And beitin is going to make a law that says, in this particular circumstance, we're saying they're not truma. So, Rochista says, you, not, you don't think so? We have an Mishnah, and here we come home. In our case, the kid from either husband would be a mamzer. So he said, Rav Chista says, I understand why any child from the second husband would be a mamzer, because after all, she's still married to the first husband. That's adultery. Why would the kid from, if she goes back to the first husband, why should that kid be a mamzer? He's a good guy. It's his wife. There's nothing wrong with the man. I mean, he came out from the dead, but he's alive. Uh, he didn't. I mean, I mean, she thought he was dead, and, and she's her, his, his wife. Why is the kid a mamzer? Because and by the way, the result of this is not just a chumrah, but it is a kula, because it means that this child that Mita Oraita is a kosher kid, we're calling him a mamzer to try to raise the stakes of, uh, of, of trusting the witnesses, so you should know that if the husband does come back, that uh, the result is that the child will be a mamzer. But the result of that is that this kid may now marry a mamzeret. So Rabbi said, you know what? That's not the case. Shmuel said, that this kid who's born of the first husband is not allowed to marry Mamzeret. By the way, the kid born of the second husband would. And also in Eretz Yisrael, they ruled So now the question is asked, why are we calling this kid a Mamzeret if he can't marry Mamzeret? The answer is easy. That he can't marry a regular Bait Yisrael. So now we've sort of defended ourselves and said, Rabbi sort of defended himself and said, you know what? It's not the case that Beitin absolutely takes something that's Kodesh and turn it, Kodesh del right and turn it into Chulin Drabanan. Just like they don't take a person who's a Yisrael and declare him to be a Mamzer and therefore be Matur and be Mamzeret. Because in this case, he's also Mamzeret. He's just Osir Midrabanan to marry Bait Yisrael. Good. So now we continue. Shalach le Rav Chista le Acha So now Rav Chista sent the message to Rabbah, who was discussing this with him through an intermediary. Since when do Beitin not uproot the laws of the Torah? At what point in her growth will a man inherit from his wife who's a Ktana, meaning this is a wife of Kiddushay Miun? And uh, at what point in her growth 
if she dies, at what age will, uh, if she dies, will he already become her heir? When she stands up straight, from the time of Chupa. Belazar says once they've had Bia. Now, Vyorsha, he's Yoresher, Umetame life, he's a Kohen, he's Metame to go to her funeral. And if he's a Kohen, at that point, she can already start eating Truma of his. Now, Bechamim's position was when she stands up straight. What you think if he was just Makadishur and now she's old enough to stand up uh, that she already eats um, um, the, already standing up by the way is a, is a euphemism for being of uh, age of puberty but if she hasn't gone to the Chuppah yet then she doesn't eat right? uh, so we have to fix which has reached age so in other words Bechamim's position is she has to be of age and come into the Chuppah so Bechamim said to Beit Hillel to come reach her. You, Beit Hillel, said that as long as she's at Chuppah, she's already in. I make, I maintain. Bechamim says we maintain that if she's already of age, then Chuppah is meaningful. But if not, then Chuppah doesn't help. She's not of age. That's Bechamim Beit Hillel. But if she's a young child, then her decision to have relations with this man, who's now her husband, is not a meaningful decision. So, so that means Rebeliezer actually makes it the latest date. She has to be of age, and obviously they've had chuppah, and then have had bia. Alright, good. Now, but the main thing that we're concerned with is that, this, that we say he is Yoresher, he gets the Yerusha, if this girl dies, her property comes to the husband, and not to the father, even though Midda Oraita, they're not married. Because remember, Midda Oraita, um, the the marriage doesn't kick in until she's a gedola, which is a little bit after mishtamor bekomatat. the father is yoresher. and you're making rabbanon. You're taking the money away from the father and giving it to the husband. So here is another example. Rav Chis is proving to proving to Raba that Beitin do overturn Torah legislation, and so don't be so surprised what I said about truma. So the answer that Raba gives is hefker Beitin, I hefker. When the Beitin can reassign ownership, that's a general rule. How do we know that if the Beitin reassigns ownership, both on a local level, but also on a legislative level, local meaning on a case-by-case level, Beitin decides it goes to this person or that person. But more significantly for our purposes, on a legislative level, to say that even though we do right to this money goes to the father, we're determining that it goes to the husband. How do I know that? This is the classic cherem, Ezra made the ruling. This was at the great convocation when they got together. When they got together to uh, isolate the foreign wives, etc., and they made a ruling: anybody who does not come within three days to this gathering, all of his property will be confiscated. So you see, Beitin has the right to do such a thing. Rabbi Lazar Mamiacha, yes, from somewhere else, from the middle of the description of the uh, the designation of the different parts of Eretz Israel. To the tribes in Yeshua Yotet Pasukalif, Elan Cholotashinichalu Alazar Koin Yeshua Binun Vrashay Havot Matot Bnei Israel. The term used there for the members of the, the representatives of the tribes is Rashay Havot Matot Bnei Israel. So why are they called that? Rachimayin Rashim Eitzalavot. Why are you talking about the heads of the tribes and the fathers? El Malacha Ma Avot Manchilin Bneihem Komashiyotzu. Just like fathers bequeath to their children through inheritance, whatever they would like to bequeath to them. 
Similarly, the heads of tribes give to their tribe whatever it is they wish to give to them, which means they can reassign ownership among the tribe. Good. So you see the Hefker Beitin Ayahefker, and now you understand why the Beitin can reassign the ownership of this girl's inheritance from the father to the husband. However, that's not all. We said that the, that the husband at that point is Metamila. The father has to take care of this daughter's burial, which means that this guy's not really her husband, which means that he, by rights he should not be Metame, should not become Tame by handling her body and burying her. So the answer is because Nebuch, this girl, is all, what, of uh, 11 years old, and she died, and nobody's going to take care of her. She's a mate mitzvah. What's the definition of mate mitzvah? Anybody who has nobody to bury them. If he calls out and says, please help me bury Plony, and other people come and answer, it's not a mitzvah, because that means that other people will help, even if they need to be notified, but if they'll come and help, then that's not a mitzvah. So, for instance, if you're on your way to do a mitzvah, you're on your way to the Beit HaMikdash to bring a korban, and you find a dead body. So what's the halacha? You have to stop and bury the body and become Tommy. You can't bring your korban. But if on the other hand you stop and you see the body and you call out and say, hey, I see a red, tall red-haired man is lying here dead. People say, oh, that's my cousin. They come running to help. He's not a mate mitzvah anymore. Or if you just kind of stop and say, I see a body here and he will come to help, it's not a mate mitzvah and you continue on to the Beit HaMikdash. So in this case, this girl has a family. She's got a father. She's got brothers. She's got other people. But the answer is that because they're not going to inherit her money, they're not going to help bury her. It's a very sad thing, but that's the reality that they're describing, is that there's at least the concern that because her financial resources are now going to go to her husband's family, therefore her father's family is not going to take care of her, and therefore she really is like a mate mitzvah. The last thing that we said was that if a girl at that age is still alive, and her husband's alive, and he's a coin, she will already eat truma on his account. The answer is Truma de Rabbanon. This is talking about Truma de Rabbanon. Okay, good. So now, uh, Rabba has successfully defended himself against the position of Rav Chista, that the Beitin actively uproots laws in the Torah in the case of the Yerushak Tana. We'll see another example. Toshma, Achal, Truma, Mishalim, Chulin, Tahorim. If a man eats Truma, uh, mean, mean, uh, a non-coin, each truma tamea, he has to pay the coin for the truma. He has to pay with chulin that are tahor. You have to pay. When you eat truma, you have to pay with chulin, uh, food or with, uh, or with money, but you have to pay with chulin food. Shilem chulin tamea. What if you paid with chulin that were also tamea? So Rameyer said, as quoted by Sumchus, that if he gave it b'shogeg, then the payment is valid. But may not. And any time, by the way, you see that split, you know that it's all a rabbinic decree as a fine against him for doing something wrong. say, in any case, it's valid. And then he has to go back and pay with chulin tahorim. Does that mean that he gets the money back? No, that means he has to repay it with chulin tahorim. But the payment is a valid payment. He's done the mitzvah of, of tashlumim. Vavinan Bab, our, our discussion about it, the part that we care about is, B'meizid ain't tashlumin tashlumin. How could it be that if he pays it back, B'meizid, it's not valid? Adrava, tavola bracha, it should be good. He's giving him chulin tmeim. Why is that good? To After all, this Yisrael ate something that the coin could not eat when he's tomate because, uh, because it's eating truma tmeya, which can never be eaten. 
Because when the coin is tummy, he can't eat truma at all. When the coin is tar, he can't eat truma tamea. So this Yisrael ate something that the coin couldn't eat at all. And he paid him back with chulim, the tame, which means he gave him the coin back stuff that he could eat when he's tame. So he should be a good guy. So we have uh, either Rava or Kadi said, Really, there's something missing. And this is how the Mishnah should read. If the guy eats Trumatmeya, then he pays whatever symbolic amount. Because after all, the Trumatmeya is not worth anything. Achal truma tahora, mishalim chulin tahorim. He has to pay back with chulin tahorim. Shilim chulin tamei. If he ate truma tahora and he paid back with chulin that are tamei, so that's the ruling that we saw. That only if he did a bishogig is it valid? Amazed it's not. And chachamim say in any case it's valid. Good. Now so we all agree that the tashlumin are good. And meaning, that if the Kohen takes these chulin tmeim, that the, the Yisrael gave him his payment, we know that midoraita, they're valid, because after all, Bishogay gets a valid payment. And therefore, if the Kohen took that money and used it and gave it to a woman and said, it's his money, and therefore the Kiddushin are valid. And according to Reb Meir, if he does it, we're going to say, the Kiddush, the Tashlumin aren't valid, which means that now we're going to turn around and say, that woman that you gave that stuff to really is not Mikudesha to you because the stuff wasn't yours because the Tashlumin weren't valid. Because Sharina and Eshet Ish Laalman, now we're taking a woman who is an Eshet Ish Midda Oraita, and Midarabana, we're saying that she really is a free woman. So, Mayan Tashlumin, Tashlumin, so now how do we explain it? What does Rameir mean when he says, Ain Tashlumav Tashlumin? Come on, Rameir, Debar the Mehada Shlumin Chulin Taharin, that he has to pay back. Again, as he has not finished paying, he has to pay back with Chulin Torin. But the stuff he gave the coin certainly belongs to the coin, and if he gave it as Kedushin to a woman, that would be valid. So, Yachisum Chusan Rabbanon, if that case, there's no disagreement. Because the Rabbanon also said, in either case, the Tashlumin are good, and you have to repay it. And if what, what Romero is saying is that ain't Tashlumin Tashlumin means you're not finished, but you got to repay also with Chulin Torin, there's no difference. Actually, Rameyer has a more lenient position. And the question is, are we, do we find him in a case of Shogeg because of Mezi? In other words, Rameyer says we only find him to have to pay it a second time with Chulin Tahorim if he did it on, on purpose. But if he did it by accident, we don't. And Chacham say in either case you have to pay it twice. So really Rameyer is the more lenient position. Okay, um, Rabbah again has defended himself as saying that the Rabbanon really never do uproot a law in the Torah. And in this particular case, the truma will be considered truma, uh, the payment to the coin will be considered a valid payment, that if he made, gave, gave it to a girl for Kiddushin, those Kiddushin will not be uprooted. Okay, Toshma, next challenge. Dam shinit mav You have uh, a korban. You bring the korban, shech the korban, the dam, and somehow the dam becomes tame before zrika. Bishogeg Kurza, if you brought a Bishogeg, the Korban is accepted. But Mezi, but if you knew that it was Tame and you threw it and the coin threw it anyways, low Hurza, it's not accepted. We assume low, not accepted means that you have to bring another Korban. But obviously Midoraita the Korban is accepted. Because you said Bishogeg gets accepted. Tanya said, plus we have the Brita that says the tzitz, that the coin God wears, is therefore Ritsui. 
It's going to bear the, the sins of the Kodshim. What does that mean? On Dan that was thrown, on Basar that was eaten, or Chelev that was burned up on the Mizbeach, that was Nitma, whether in any circumstance, whether intentionally, whether with knowledge, whether it's a Korban Yochid, Korban Seaboard, the Tzitz is Maratza, which means that the Korban is accepted, which means Mita Oraita, this Dam is good. Nonetheless, came out and said it's not accepted. And what's the result of that, we think? That means you're going to bring a second Korban in its place. So let's say it was a Korban Chatat, and you're going to say that the Korban is no good, which means I now have to bring a new Korban Chatat, which really is not a Chatat, it's Chulin. You can't bring a Chatat voluntarily. And therefore, this animal that I'm bringing in is really Chulin, and I'm bringing Chulin Lazar, which is a very big violation. So the answer is we're not reading it right. What does lohurtsa mean? It means that the meat cannot be eaten by the Kohanim. In other words, the Zrikat Adam, if it was done bemezid with Dam Tome, does not loosen and permit the meat to be eaten. It's not a matir for the meat to be eaten by the Kohanim. But the Korban is accepted. You don't have to bring another Korban. Aye, but there is a mitzvah doraita of the Kohanim eating the Basar of the Chatat. And by the way, it proves it means also that the Baali, that the Kohanim eat the the uh, the meat and the and the Baalim achieve kapara that way. So there's not just a permission for the Kohanim to eat the meat; there's a mitzvah the Kohanim to eat eat the meat, and it is a part of part of the process of kapara. So the answer is, and this is a very critical piece: Amarle Sheva Tasashani. So Rabbah defended himself by saying, this is a Sheval Taset, which means this is a case where, uh, where we are uprooting the law in the Torah passively. Right? And that, he said, is fine. So in other words, the Rabbanon will say, Midoraita, this meat, it can be eaten by the Kohanim, which means the full process can take place. But Midoraita, we're finding you for intentionally putting Tam Tamei on the Mizbeach, even though the Tzitzah's Meratzeh, we are finding you, and therefore the meat may not be eaten, and therefore Kohanim sit back and don't eat the meat, not uprooting the law of the Torah, but allowing it to lapse, allowing it to pass by without being eaten. That's Sheva Al-Taseh, and the result of that is Amarle. So now, Rav Chista says, Bo'yalo Tuvach Arel. I really wanted to challenge you with the following rulings. Arel, Hazah, Ismail, Sadim, Tzitzit, Kivseh, Atzeret, Shofar, Velulav. I'll go through what all of these are. I wanted to challenge you with all of these things. What are they? So the case of Arel is that the Rabbanan said that HaPorish Mina Orla, HaPorish Mina Kever, if somebody has a Brit Milah, like a Ger, is Mitkayer, he has to wait seven days as if he was Tmei Mate, and therefore Mavatal Korban Pesach. So if a ger is need kayer, just on the air of Pesach, he, he, can, he has to bring Pesach Shein, he can't bring the Korban Pesach, because he's Tomei, even though that tomb is bin Rabbanan. Alright, but that's again, Sheval Taset. Uh, Hazor, right? Hazor, if a person, let's say, Pesach starts on Saturday night, there's a famous case. Pesach starts on Saturday night, and um, Hazor, which is a Shvut the Rabbanan, uh, the person is, uh, sorry, became Tomei mate on the Sunday a week before the first day of Pesach, on Chet Nisan. So he has Hazah on Tuesday, on the third day. He should have Hazah on Shabbos, go to the mikvah, and that night he could already eat the carbon, and we could bring the carbon on his behalf. But Midra Baran, and there's that famous discussion between Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Kiva, and Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Kiva, in the Mishnah and Pesachim, 
um, is uh, that he that midraban and hazah, which is a shvut, may not be done, even though the result of that is he can't bring the korban pesach. What's Ismail? Ismail is that you cannot carry a knife even in a uh, a method that is carrying considered carrying draban and like on in a carmelite or carfeif, etc. To bring it to a house to do brit milah, which means that the kid sits there and the, his eighth day passes without brit milah, and he has to have the brit milah the next day. Uh, that's sheval taseh. Again, we're not fulfilling the mitzvah of milah. Sadin betzitzit. After all, mid If you put, um, uh, if you have a linen garment and you put wool tzitzit on it, that's not a violation of kilaim because tzitzit is docha kilaim, as we saw at the very beginning of the masachet. Nonetheless, the rabbanon were goes there not to wear sadin betzitzit. Etc. And and therefore you if you have a linen garment, you don't put tzitzit on it, which after you wool, because of the tchelet, you don't put tzitzit on it and you and you violate the mitzvah again, Uh the special korban that's brought on Shavuot. Um Rashi points out that it's unclear exactly what the issue is, uh, but whether or not it's um it's about being nishchat shlo etc. And then shofar and lulav, of course, famously, which are not uh, performed on Shabbat, even though mid oraita they are doche Shabbat. Good. So now hashda deshayvan sheval taseh lomiakahu, and now Rabbah, that you've told me that sheval taseh is not considered an uprooting. You just answered all my questions that I was going to use as a challenge. You've kind of uh, anticipated and blocked my challenge. Uh, the, to, to indicate that Rabbanon really do uproot laws from the Torah, from the fact that uh, in all of those cases it's Sheval Taset. Good. Now, Toshma. Erav Tishma'un. The Pasuk says that um, Moshe is the Ben Israel, it's in Parshat Shoftim. Uh, I will, Hashem says, I will establish a Navi for you, and you must listen to him. There's a mitzvah to listen to the Navi. And what's the Chiddush? If the Navi says, don't do a Warazar, if the Navi says, be nice to each other, the Navi says, give it stock, obviously you have to listen to him. But even if the Navi says, tells you to violate a law of the Torah, who set up a Mikdash, after the Beit HaMikdash had been built in Yerushalayim, and he set up a Mizbeach, sorry, on HaRakarmel, famously, Malachim Aleph Perak Yudchet, if it's temporary, he says, on this one occasion, we have to do this this thing, which is a violation of the law, you listen to him. That doesn't prove anything about the Beitin's right to permanently legislate and uproot against the Torah. That's a unique circumstance where you're listening to a Navi, first of all. It's not Beitin. And second of all, where it's temporary. Why don't you use that as a model? The answer is Migdar Milta Shani. Migdar Milta, which we'll see again in our sugya, is wherever they need to fence something in because of a temporary circumstance. Here, most of the people in the northern kingdom were worshipping Baal or associated with Baal or secretistically worshipping Baal and Hashem. Eliyahu had to come out and forcefully demonstrate that you must worship Hashem only. And therefore, for that temporary moment, he violated the law. Toshma, Bitlo Mevutal. This is the Mishnah at the beginning of the fourth parak of Gitin, where Midoraita, uh, of course, if a person sends a shaliach with a get, and then, away from the shaliach's presence, he cancels the get, Midoraita, the get is batel. The Rabbi Gamliel made a takonim, olam, that you may not do such a thing outside of the presence of the, of the shaliach. Right, now, Rebbe says that if the, if the guy does get up and stand up away from the shaleach and says, uh, I'm canceling the get, it is canceled. 
says, no, you cannot do that. You cannot uh, cancel the get. You cannot change the get or anything else. Once the shaliach is gone, anything you do is is invalid and is meaningless. The get's already on its way. Because because otherwise the takana of the beitin, takana of my uh, great grandfather, Gamli al Zakin, that said that you may not cancel it is a meaningless thing. If once he cancels it, that cancellation is meaningful, then you're ruling that you can't cancel it. Olam doesn't hold any strength. That's Makoch Beitin Yafet. Now, which means that woman is still married to that man. And you're saying that because of the concern of Koch Beitin Yafet, Mishum Makoch Beitin Yafet, Kasharin and Eshadish look what the result is. Me to Oraita, this man's cancellation is valid, which means me to Oraita, the woman is still married to him. But you're saying because of your consideration of the integrity of the Beitin, we're saying your words are meaningless, and therefore the get is still a get, and therefore this woman is now a free woman and may marry somebody else. So, uh, as you see, Beitin is uprooting a law of the Torah. So, this answer is, and there's a famous piece, shows up several times in Shas, getting there and in Ketubot, Somebody who is Mikadesh is Mikadesh al-Dat Beitin, which means when somebody does Kiddushin, they say, I'm doing Kiddushin that are contingent upon the approval of the Beitin, and once the Beitin says, we do not approve these Kiddushin anymore, they are uprooted, and that's why Tosa points out in several places, that's why we say when we do Kiddushin, Kiddat Moshev Yisrael, right, and with the approval of Moshev's Dor, right, then Yisrael's the Beitin. The Afkina Rabbanon the Kiddushin, the Rabbanon changed the Kiddushin. So, Amal Ravina the Ravashi. Ravina said to Ravashi, on this point, I'll turn off the cottage because I understand if the guy did Kiddushin Mikhesef, so that Beitin takes the money and reassigns it and says that money was not Kiddushin, it was a gift. Kaddish would be a Maikal member. What if the guy was Makadish, the woman with Bia? What are they going to retroactively do to that Bia to change it? So his answer is, even though normally we say, any Bia that a man has, we assume to be one that is meaningful. In this case, the Rabbana will say retroactively that Bia was meaningless. It was Bilad Znut, and therefore there's no Kiddushin. Good. So in other words, the Rabbanan have the purview here to reassign the acts of the man, whether it's the gift or the Bia, such that the Kiddushin are not valid. And the man handed that over to us by saying, Kedat Moshe Yisrael. Toshma. Amr Belazman Yaakov. Shamati Shebeitin Makin Ronjin Shalom Torah. He said, I've heard that Beitin gives punishments that are not within the general purview the way the mandate that the Torah gave them. And not because they want to violate the law, but to protect the law. And here's a couple examples. Riding on a horse on Shabbat, it's a And nonetheless, there was a guy who rode on a horse on Shabbat, it was during the times of the Greeks, and it was a Hellenistic move of, uh, of disregarding Zerot, etc. They brought on the Beitin, and Beitin stoned him, for doing this act, which is an Easter Rabbanan. You know, you can't kill somebody for violating an Easter Rabbanan, but they did it because the time, the, he, he had to be made an example of, it had to be as a deterrent for whatever reason. Not because he really deserved it, but the hour needed it. A man who had relations with his wife in an immodest way. They brought in a beitin and they, they flogged him. Not because really you get flogging for that. And that, of course, goes back to Rav in Kiddushin, 
who used to give makot to somebody who was makadish b'bia and makadish b'shuka and makadish below shiduch, etc. Good. So here you see examples of where the Beitin acts against the mandate of the Torah. The answer is migdar miltashani that when they have to protect the the social uh, circumstance and the integrity of the Beitin, then temporarily they may act that way. But that does not speak to our issue of legislatively uprooting a law in the Torah, which of course was. Rabbi's attack to Rav Chista, how can you say that that truma, going back to the beginning of the sugya, that that truma that you separated is absolutely not truma and it's 100% chulin because of a concern of Shema Yifshah, the Beitin cannot make a law that uproots and takes something that's truma right and turns it into chulin, and all of the challenges Rav Chista brought to Rabbi, Rabbi answered either by saying it's really something that's in the purview of the Beitin because it's handed over by the party, by like in Kedushin, or that it is Sheva al where you're passively allowing the mitzvah opportunity to go by, or because it is Migdar Milta, something that the hour needs, and that is something that Beitin has the mandate to take care of that society works properly, uh, but that is not something which is part of general legislation. So we've had a very long sugya today, and we will have a long piece in the next podcast. And Mir Tashem, we will continue in our study of Asachit Yivamot. Everybody should have a wonderful day.